So this is the part of our time together, Church at Home, where we open the Bible together. And so if you would like to rescue your Bible from wherever you've left it in the house, and uh, or, or if you don't have one in your house, then download one, or dare I say it, order one. There's something really lovely about a nice tactile old Bible um, to have in your house. So we'd encourage you to do that. Um, one of the things that I've been noticing and reading about over the last few weeks has been the impact of the lockdown on our relationships. I wonder how your relationships are, all of the relationships in your life. Uh, I think it's more or less universal that, that most people are finding relationships harder. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because you're trying to do relationships with your work colleagues, through Zoom or you know through a screen and, and it's really difficult to read body language and so it's just exhausting. Maybe it's because when we're under pressure, we don't kind of uh, use the usual filters that we might have in terms of our own personality. So we become a more extreme version of ourselves. No comment please from you. And as a result of that, you know, we give people a full experience of who we really are. Or maybe it's just because we are um, cooped up with people 24-7 and it's the same people. And, and that's just not normal. It's not how we usually live. I read one piece of research that said that more than a quarter of cohabiting couples or people in cohabiting couples uh, have been finding their partner irritating. <laughs> and I read another piece of research that said that 12% of them said that the current lockdown was causing them to doubt their relationship. Oh. Uh, and then I read this other lady, she wrote this, she wrote, it's starting to feel like a pressure cooker in the house. Today, my husband of 28 years said something hurtful. Then I said something mean back. Right now I'm sitting in bed looking at his back and it makes me want to start talking and maybe apologize, but it's late and we're both exhausted. Maybe I'll get up and go to another room for a glass of Chardonnay. Uh, and once again, I've just been so thrilled to discover that this book, this ancient book, is so relevant. And actually, do you know what? So hopeful uh, in moments like this. We're in this series called The Prison Letters. We're looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, we're just approaching the end of chapter one, and I think he's got something really hopeful to say to us in this particular moment. Um, uh, just, just in terms of context, just so that you know, almost all of the New Testament letters were written to people for a specific purpose or to address a specific situation or, or circumstance that was happening with those people. And this particular letter is of uh, is no exception. What we know is that the Apostle Paul is in lockdown in prison, in probably in Rome, and he's writing to his friends, the Philippians, and he's heard that there's a relational dispute, there's uh, a relational breakdown that's happened amongst his friends, which is causing him heartbreak. And so uh, in large part, this letter is written to address that specific situation. That's why it's so relevant for our situation right now. So I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 1, last time in chapter 1 and the next time in chapter 2, verse 27. He says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you 
or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're now going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. One of the great passions of the Apostle Paul's life is healthy relationships. You often find him, especially in letters like Romans or 1 Corinthians, you find him urging his friends to be united. And I suppose the truth that is driving that passion or shaping that passion is a truth that all relationships of all kinds are opposed. It's not just like, you know, in relationships, well, you know, I get on with you and you get on with me. And then sooner or later, maybe we fall out with one another or, or, you know, it's not just you and me involved in this relationship. There's somebody else involved in every single relationship, be it marriages or uh, family relationships or work relationships or friendships. The other person in our relationships is the enemy. He is somebody who is seeking to uh, frustrate every relationship. Ultimately, his goal is, his singular goal is to drive a wedge between every person and between every person and their God. It's quite shocking, actually. And actually, it's the the thing that's happened all the way throughout the entire Bible. So what you see is right at the very beginning of the book, Adam and Eve and God are perfectly united together. They're, They're relating beautifully to one another. And then along comes the serpent. And as the serpent comes, he sows deception and temptation into the middle of those relationships. And as a result, everything begins to fracture. And actually what you see is that that that, uh, work happens all the way throughout the whole of scripture. When I'm talking about the enemy, uh, actually the enemy has lots of different names throughout scripture. So for example, in the Old Testament, he's called Satan. The word Satan is a Hebrew word. It means the adversary or the enemy. You and I have an adversary. In the New Testament, he's called all kinds of things. He's called the devil, which means the, the personification of evil, but he's also called the father of lies. He's called the accuser. He's called uh, the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And what he's looking for is the tiny crack in a relationship between two people that he can then sow in accusation or deception or temptation or, or whatever it is that he can use. And actually, like I said, you see that throughout the pages of Scripture. You know, it feels sometimes when I'm reading the Bible like, on nearly every page of the Bible is a story about how relationships have broken down. And that has a huge effect on marriages, on family life, and actually ultimately on the the destiny of nations. I recently met a police officer, a very senior police officer who's responsible for counter-terrorism. And I was asking them, What do you see as being the major issue faced by the police 
in our nation. I wonder what you think they said. I was so surprised by what they said. They said the main issue that we're facing in our nation is family breakdown. And I was like, what on earth do you mean? They said, well, if you think about it, nearly every situation that the police face has at its root a breakdown of relationship. So that could be anything. That could be the drugs crisis or antisocial behavior or criminal activity or the mental health crisis, or homelessness, or even terrorism has at its root a breakdown of relationship. Um, oh, my notes are in the wrong order. That's better. And uh, the enemy has his dirty fingerprints over every part of the, you know, what the police are facing. And yet what I love about this passage is, it's so full of hope. Relational breakdown is not inevitable. God is with relationships and he's for relationships and Paul is pleading with his friends. He's saying, whatever happens, don't give in. Don't give way. Do not let the enemy win and do not be afraid. So much hope. In fact, I can find at least four encouragements in this passage for strengthening relationships. And I'm just going to Look at those now, but first of all, I'm gonna take a drink. Mm. Good coffee. For encouragement, number one, live your new life. I became a Christian when I was 15. I had spent several months investigating the veracity, the truth of Christianity. I'd looked at, was there a real Jesus? Did he really die? Did he really rise from the dead? all these kinds of things. And it's actually the kind of thing that the Alpha Course looks into, um, but I wasn't aware of the Alpha Course then. Nevertheless, I'd done the research, I decided that it was all true. And then one day I was on a bus, on the bus coming home from school, and I suddenly knew, it not just in my head, but in my heart, that it was all true. And I ran home from the bus stop, I, I kind of crashed through the door, I ran upstairs, I sat quietly on my bed, and the rest of my life changed. I surrendered my life to Jesus and he did this kind of internal renovation of my soul, which is the most beautiful thing that's, one of the most beautiful things that's ever happened to me. And it's an amazing thing. And so the next day I got back on the bus and I suppose to everyone else, I looked exactly the same, but my inner world was entirely different. I was a new person. You know, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And what I soon discovered in my little Christian walk as a, as a teenager was that actually it was surprisingly easy to go back to all my old ways, my old patterns of behavior, my old cycles of thinking. It was surprisingly easy. And so it turned out that in almost every situation, I face an option or a choice between my old way of life and my new way of life. Just seemed to be how it worked. Paul says, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, if you are a Christian, then be one. If you've become a Christian, then behave like one. Live out your new life. In other words, if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, 
then start to live as if you are the servant and he is the Lord. He gets to call the shots. If you have experienced a ridiculous level of forgiveness from God, then start to live out that forgiveness by forgiving other people when they do things against you. If you have received an abundant, ridiculous, incredible level of love, a, a relentless, consistent, continuous level of love from God our Father in heaven, then start to live in a more centered and secure way. If you've been made spiritually alive, then start to live in your private practices and also in your public persona that you are now a spiritually alive person. Live out your new life. You can see that in this lockdown situation, if we all become our old selves and you know just live out our old patterns of behavior, the kind of person I was or we were before we came to faith, then the devil has got lots of stuff to work with. Whereas if I step into, if I live in my new identity in Christ, I live out the newness of my own soul, then he can go and whistle for it. In fact, let me just say, warn you, by the way, that if you're watching this and you're not a Christian and you have no idea what I'm talking about, that you could experience an entirely new, um, uh, new inner world then we're gonna provide you with the opportunity later on to become a Christian and to experience that for yourself. So I just wanna give you a warning so that you can think about that for a few moments. So the first thing is live your new life. Number two, drink the same spirit. So verse 27 still, Paul says, stand firm in one spirit. And he's not talking about, he's not using that phrase in this, the way that you or I might use that phrase, where we say, oh, I'm with you in spirit, you know, grrr, it's like you and me, you and me, grrr, or ah. Uh, actually, what he is meaning when he talks about one spirit is the Holy Spirit. You know, if the enemy is coming against us is coming against us if our adversary is using his schemes and plans and fairly puny power to try to fracture relationships and isolate us all then please be assured that god the creator and sustainer of the cosmos is deploying his power into the situation as well he is for for this moment providing us with everything that we need to do to stay in healthy relationships with everyone by giving us the Holy Spirit. I remember when I first became a Christian, there were so many weird things that I discovered about the church. And one of the weirdest practices of the church for my new Christian eyes was that at the end of every service, the pastor would say, let's say the grace together. And what that meant was that everyone would stand up and they would start to recite a particular verse off by heart from 2 Corinthians. And, and I mean, the weird thing about that is, of course, that if you are a new Christian or you're not used to church, you already feel excluded, which is really the opposite of what church is supposed to do. But nevertheless, actually, I quite like doing it sometimes, but... Uh, so uh, they used to recite this verse, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Now, 
and, and at the same time, it's like you all had to look like into each other's eyes, like, mm, mm, you know, like, slightly eccentric practice, let's call it. But it might be eccentric, but it is true. The Bible is true. And when it talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, it's making a theological statement that one of the main things that the Holy Spirit does in the world today is to knit our relationships together, the fellowship, the family, brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, friendship, married life is better because the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. And so therefore, if you are in a tight spot in your marriage right now and you're thinking, gosh, I, I, you know, this is really, really hard. I can't think of a better thing to do than to sit down with your spouse if they're a Christian or if they're willing to do it. If they're not, then do it by yourself. Just say, sit down together and say, God, please would you give me more of your Holy Spirit? I know that your Holy Spirit is your power at work in relationships. And so I want to receive that from you. And as we drink from the same Spirit together, it's like we're drinking liquid, personal, powerful magnets that help to knit hearts and souls together. Hearts and souls that have at different times been ripped or, or slightly scarred or torn, suddenly they become reunited by the work of the Holy Spirit. Such a beautiful thing. Drink the same Spirit. Number three, fight with the same mind. There's a little uh, bit of poetry or wordplay happening in this passage that you might not have noticed immediately because it's slightly hidden in our English translations. But what he actually says is this, stand firm in one spirit, strive together, fight together with one mind. Stand firm in one spirit, fight with one mind. We're all so different, aren't we? And uh, we see the world differently and we, we, we value different things and we have different personality types. And sometimes it feels like the reason relationships go sour is that we can't agree on anything. But I love Paul's challenge here. He says, whatever happens, fight with one mind. In other words, even if at this stage we can't agree on anything else, let's agree on this. We will win. We will be together. We will be united. The enemy will not win. The enemy will not have his way. We will, by the power of God and the grace of God, be together. We're not going to fight with one another. We're going to fight for one another. Let me just finish with this. Number four, don't give in to fear. Verse 28, don't be frightened by those who oppose you. In other words, friends, don't be afraid. Don't allow your decisions about relationships to be defined by fear. Instead of living by fear, what if we were to live with courage? What about if we were to bring courage to the table for some of these difficult things? I wonder what courage looks like for you right now. Maybe courage looks like taking the first step. Maybe courage looks like walking across the room. Maybe courage looks like making a stand. Maybe courage looks like forgiveness. 
Maybe courage looks like saying, we will see this through together. Let's pray, shall we? And Father, I just want to pray for every, everyone watching this who is experiencing a fracture in a relationship or some tension in a relationship, difficulty in a relationship, friendships, colleagues, marriages, parent-child, all of these things and more. We invite your Holy Spirit into every single situation. Please come, God. Come and help us. Come and help us. Come and heal our wounds. Give us the strength and the courage to forgive. Help us to make a stand. Whatever happens. Amen.